We're in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, the 70 weeks prophecy. If you would, stand for reading of the Word of God. Now, I want you to realize that you have come here on a week when we're going to discuss one of the most difficult prophecies in Scripture. This is very difficult. You look at all kinds of commentators, and there's different views on this. So please, if you've ever listened closely to a sermon, this would be the time that you zero in, because it is complicated, and you're going to have to follow along with me. So Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27, the 70 weeks prophecy. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to, to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it shall be with a flood, until the end of the war of desolations are determined. And he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offerings. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now, as you know, for the umpteenth time, the theme of Daniel is God is sovereign over nations. God is sovereign over rulers. God is sovereign over you. What God sovereignty means is that God is in control. Our God reigns. Nothing is happening in a capricious manner, whimsical. He's got the whole world in his hands. He raises up nations and rulers, and he brings them down. Now, we have seen in the past the picture of the statue, the idol. And if you remember the idol, and we have Babylon came and went. Persia came and went. Greece came and went. Rome in its grandeur came and went. And we also have the East and West Division. There's an East and West block of nations to this day that the world is separated into. We are still in the Roman part of this idol, or the statue. And the toes here are what's coming in the future. A ten-nation confederation is on the horizon. A one-world government broken up the ten ruling nations, of which Antichrist at some point will burst into this and take control of the whole world. That is what is coming. So Jesus will come and establish his kingdom. And if you remember, there's that rock that came down, jettisoning out towards the, the idol, and it crushes the idol, and it turns it to chafe. And this whole thing just goes, Phew! and Messiah comes, and he establishes his thousand-year millennial reign. That is in the future. But there are things that have to happen before that happens. And we're going to talk about that today. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, we know that Daniel knows that the prophet Jeremiah has said very specifically there would be 70 years of captivity in Babylon. There's a Persian king. Persia has taken over. A king has, has, has raised up called Cyrus, and he's going to set the people free, let, allow them to go back. So in verses 3 through 19, Daniel prays for the city of Jerusalem. And it's the only city in the world that has the hand of God on it. Now, we come another picture up here. Now, this is the city of Jerusalem, but notice that this, we have this configuration. This is the shin. This is the shin, and it is emblematic to a Jewish person of El Shaddai. God, El is God, Shaddai Almighty. It's the only place on earth where God has placed his handprint on the city of Jerusalem. He uses these valleys as, as markers for the shin. That's very interesting. The centrality of the world is not New York City or London. It is Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's why every time something happens in the world, there's different things, different wars that are going on. But if something happens in Jerusalem or in Israel, it's a big deal. That's the center of, of everything, at least as far as prophecy goes. In chapter 9, verse 3, we see that Daniel sets his face towards the Lord God. And we made an emphasis in his prayer about setting your face towards God. This is not a cursory, rapid, you know, just, just 
blowing something off to God and then going on your way. This is like Jesus getting off with Father by himself. Daniel is putting all of his direction towards God. That is setting our face towards God. That's how we get answered prayer. And then he goes into praise and adoration in verse 4. Confession in verse 5 through 15. He makes his petition in verses 16 through 19, and he says these words. And how common are these words to your own heart? O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen. O Lord, act. We need you now, Lord. That is just, he set his face towards God, and that is what his petition ends up being. But he went through some steps before he got to his petition. And then we see Gabriel's arrival in verses 20 through 23, and he arrives swiftly, and he tells Daniel, Daniel thinks he's going to go back and to Jerusalem, and that the nation is going to go back, that the 70 years are up, and the time of the Gentiles is over, and Messiah is going to come back, and he's going to establish his kingdom, but Daniel's going to be straightened out in his thinking by Gabriel, who comes very quickly. And Gabriel's going to set him straight and tell him that there's something that is known as the time of the Gentiles, that Jerusalem will be trotted down by the Gentiles until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Luke 21, 24 says this, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And what I wanted you to try to remember, the time of the Gentiles is from Babylonian captivity to the second coming of Messiah. And in Israel now, though Jerusalem is partly under Jewish control, there are actually four sections, three of them are Gentiles. So from, from the 586 B.C., right into our time, into the future, till Jesus establishes kingdom, it, Jerusalem has been trampled down by the Gentiles. It's not under full Jewish command or Jewish rule. Now, why did this happen? Why did Jerusalem get trampled down? Well, in the Old Testament, Jewish people worshipped false gods and idols. That was one of the reasons for going into Babylonian captivity. In the New Testament, the Jewish people reject Messiah. And what happens in 70 AD? The, the whole city and the temple are destroyed, as predicted in Luke chapter 19. We see these words. Jesus speaking, and he comes into Jerusalem, he accepts his kingship. Remember, he rejected being a king all through the ministry, but now he accepts his kingship on Palm Sunday. That's a very significant day. It'll be more important as we go into this, into this text. And he says this about Jerusalem. There's going to be an embankment around you. They'll surround you, close you on every side, level you and your children within you to the ground. There will not leave one stone upon another. And in 70 AD, Titus with his armies comes in and destroys Jerusalem. One million men, women, and children were killed in Jerusalem under that. Jesus predicted it. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not recognize me as the Messiah. You rejected me, and that was the consequence. How devastating. This week, Daniel will clarify the time allotted for Israel before Jesus returns. Gabriel helps Daniel understand, and he helps us understand this timeline, God's plan for the future, the 70 weeks prophecy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. And Lord, this undoubtedly is a very difficult portion of Scripture. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us today what you would want us to know about this. Help us to rightly divide the word. Help our minds to be keen, our hearts to be open. Let us not be distracted by whatever's going on in the world around us, what's coming up in the rest of the day. And may we, for these few minutes, focus on what you have for us today. This is so important. In Jesus' name, amen. This little background, I don't know if you remember, but 25 to 28% of the Bible is prophetic. And there are many people in Christendom that don't want to deal with the prophecies and the future predictions and that sort of thing. And that's, a, that's tragic. You should know that the prophecy before you today is one of the most important and difficult to, to explain in all of Scripture. Gabriel begins by telling Daniel the time of the Gentiles will, will not be 70 years, but 70 weeks. Now, stop right there. These 70 weeks are weak years. Not just 70 weeks. These are weak years. 
One week equals seven years. There are 70 years, so 70 times 7 is 490 years. That is what has been decreed for the people of Israel. There will be a starting point. That's just a little background. Now, six facts of the 70-week prophecy, and this is taken from Andy Wood's work on this, where he actually described 10, but I've kind of narrowed it down to six. He says this, the 70 weeks prophecy, focus will be on the Jews and Jerusalem. It will be a 490-year period of time, and this is very important for the calculations to work, which I will give you in a few minutes. These are 360-day years. That's how the Jewish calendar works, 360-day years. They use a lunar calendar. There will be six prophecies that need to be fulfilled. That is in verse 24. And 483 years will elapse from the beginning of the prophecy until Jesus goes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and accepts his kingship. And we'll go through that again in, in Luke. And there's a gap between the 483rd year and the 484th year, or the 69th week and, and the 70th week. And, it's going to, and this is called the church age. That's what we're in right now. Time has stopped for the Jews. Now God is focusing all of his attention, or most of his, is focusing his attention on the church, on the mostly Gentile nations. God loves people. He loves the nation of Israel. And when I talk about the nation of Israel being chosen and special, he has chosen one people group out of the whole world, but he loves all humanity. He loves all the people of the world. He doesn't love the Jews more than he loves the Arabs, or more than he loves the Polish, or more than he loves the English, or more than he loves the Africans. Or more. No, he loves all the people of the world. They're all his children. So with that concept in mind, verse 24, the 70 weeks are determined. Let's read it again. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. That's the emphasis. Your people, your holy city. It will affect the whole world, but it's, that is the point. Six things will be accomplished. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. All of these will require Messiah. And these aren't accomplished because Messiah was rejected. Part of this was, but, but all of it wasn't. So let's develop this just a little bit. When you're looking at the world and world events and kingdoms rising and kingdoms falling, I want you to think about this. Who's in charge of the world? Okay, let's say that again. Let's, let's do that with a little bit of passion. Who's in charge of the world? God's in charge of the world. Nothing is happening in a capricious, whimsical manner. God is in charge of the world. He raises up and he brings down. So the focus of the world in God's eyes, all of the world, he loves all the people in the world, but his focus is not the United States or Europe or Asia. Again, he loves those people, but his focus is the nation of Israel. And the city is Jerusalem, the most important city on the earth is not the rest of the Paris or New York or Moscow, it's Jerusalem. So this prophecy deals specifically with what the Bible calls God's chosen people in the Old Testament who were chosen for reason to tell the world about the true God and didn't. And didn't. The, the, the prophecy deals specifically with God's chosen people group, the Jewish people, and God's chosen city, Jerusalem. They had the responsibility to tell the world about God and the coming Messiah, and they didn't do it. Now the church age, we have the responsibility as the church age, as the chosen of God when we're saved, to tell the rest of the world about Messiah. Messiah. He's come, and he's coming again, and to believe him. So we are taught in the scriptures to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. In Psalm 122.6, that may they prosper who love you. There's a promise attached to that. The question for us today is this. What are the 70 weeks? And again, I'm going to say this about 35,000 times. 70 weeks times 7 years is 490 years. One week 
equals seven years. So, 77 describes the 70 weeks of years. That's 490 years will pass before God's purposes for Israel will be completed. So the focus is the nation of Israel. The focus is his city, Jerusalem, in, in this prophecy. We come into this in the pause. In the pause. When time stops at the 483-year point, which you're going to learn more about in just a second, the church is gone. In the last week is a tribulation period. He refocuses on the nation of Israel. So, just a side note. Just a side note. You must realize that Israel at this time has been temporarily partially blinded to who Messiah is. And we know that from Romans chapter 11, verse 25 through 26. Don't just pull this out of the air. We go to the scriptures. And it says this, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, this mysterion, this, this thing that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, but is re being revealed now. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part, see, there's still Jews being saved. There are Messianic Jews, just not a whole lot of them. Has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and then all of Israel shall be saved. Now, the question is this. What is the fullness of the Gentiles? We talked about the time of the Gentiles. That is Babylonian captivity to the second coming of Messiah. But what is the fullness of the Gentiles? Well, it's, it, it is this. It's a set number of, of Gentiles that will be saved. Then the rapture of the church will occur. This will be the end of the church aid, and God will refocus on the nation of Israel. That will be between the 69th and 70th week, or year 483 and 484. Clear as mud? Hang, hang with me, because we'll be go through this a few times. Uh, Acts 15.14 says this, Simon has declared how God had first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. See, he's always had the Gentiles in mind. Just that the Jews were supposed to evangelize the Gentile nations, and they actually didn't do that. So now back to thinking about Daniel. The 70 weeks are weak years again. So 70 weeks, 490 years, again, are determined for your people and your holy city, Jerusalem. Now, you have to think about this. Before what happens? There's a monumental thing that happens. Before Messiah returns and sets up his kingdom. 490 years are determined. Before Messiah comes back. But why isn't he returned? Certainly there's 490 years that has expired. Because they have rejected Messiah and time stopped for the Jewish nation at year 483. This will become clearer in just a second. So just hang with me. Hang with me. So what occurs during this 490-year time frame? Well, Arnold Fruchtenbaum has just listed in his footsteps of the Messiah the six prophecies that will be fulfilled. Number one, to finish the transgression singular. What is that transgression? Well, it's the Jewish national sin of rejecting Messiah. That has to be done with. That'll happen in the at the very end of the tribulation period. The, those Jews that remain alive and make it through that, all of them will then believe in Messiah. But it will take the seven-year most awful time on planet Earth for them to finally believe. That's number one. Second thing is to make an end of sin. And Jesus Messiah will come back and make an end of sin. To make reconciliation for iniquity. That's dealing with the sin nature. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and he reconciled or brought into right relationship, believing humanity with a holy God. The fourth thing is to, to bring in everlasting righteousness. That is when Messiah returns. To seal up vision and prophecy. When Jesus comes back and establishes his millennial kingdom, there will be no more need for the prophecy or predicting. He is the prophecy. He is the fulfillment of the whole thing. And then to anoint the most holy. And this anointing is the presence of Christ himself in the millennial temple. Remember, Jesus Christ 
Yeshua HaMashiach. The Lord is salvation. He is the anointed one. He is the Mashiach, the, the anointed one. And he will come and personally be reigning in Jerusalem. The 70 weeks, the 490 years, are for Israel to accomplish these six things. These six things. They were not accomplished. Why? Because the nation rejected their Messiah. Now, verse 25. Gabriel's going to give an explanation. What will start the 490-year time clock? What starts it? He's going to be very specific with this. Very specific. Verse 25. Gabriel says to Daniel, Know this, Daniel, therefore, and understand that the, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, key time start, key time point, until Messiah the Prince comes, until he declares his kingship, that is Messiah Nagid. That word Nagid can mean ruler, prince, king. Saul was called a Nagid, a king, a prince king. There shall be seven weeks, so there's a time frame, and 62 weeks, and within that time frame, Messiah will come, and also the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome time. Now remember, Jerusalem has been leveled by Nebuchadnezzar, and now it has to be rebuilt. And this is part of that prophecy. So let's develop this. No one understand what will happen, Daniel, and no one understand for us what will happen. From the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks, which is how many years? Seven times seven is 49 years, and then there will be 62 weeks, which is 434 years. These are weak years, so it will be 69 weak years or 483 years. From the going forth of the command, whatever that is, you're going to find out in just a second, until Messiah on Palm Sunday comes in and receives his kingship. Remember, he rejected it all the other times. He wanted to make him a king, but now was the time. This will happen very specifically at a very specific moment in time. So, Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, the command is given. Now, who is Nehemiah? Most people don't know him. Some might. But he is a cupbearer. He, he tastes the king's wine just to make sure it isn't poisoned. So he's got an important position. But God moves in his heart about what has happened to Jerusalem and how Jerusalem is in shambles and it's just a bunch of rubble. And that it, it, So he pursues with Artaxerxes, a Persian king at the time, permission to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. Before you can rebuild the city, you must rebuild the wall around the city so you're protected from people who want to hurt you. So Nehemiah's job is to go back and rebuild the wall. And lo and behold, Artaxerxes, by the hand of God, moves his heart and he gets, Nehemiah gets to go back and rebuild the wall. Now, there's an amazing thing that happened. The starting point for this, people have identified this as 445 B.C. That is the start of this prophecy. 445 B.C. There will be 490 years for your people. 490 years for your people. With amazing leadership, Nehemiah rebuilds the wall. And he does this in 52 days. And again, it's for protection, but it will take that whole seven weeks or 49 years for the whole city to be rebuilt. The wall of protection, which was a miracle in itself being built in 52 days, is amazing, but it will take 49 years to complete the, the building or the, all the buildings in Jerusalem, the streets and the, and, and, and the buildings. So that's that time frame. There will be another 62 weeks, 434 years, would lapse until Messiah would come. So 49 plus 434 is 483 years. Now this is a very significant number. Because at year 483, Messiah was to make an appearance. Did it happen? 
It happened right on schedule to the day, to the day, to the moment. Now, there's a guy named Sir Robert Anderson. And Sir Robert Anderson says this. Now, he came up with some calculations. And he was being challenged in his lifetime. He lived from 1841 to 1918. And he was being challenged with taking the Bible prophecy literally. And he was a literal interpreter of the Bible. And so are we. He says this, There is not a single prophecy of which the fulfillment is recorded in Scripture that was not realized, did not come to fruition with absolute accuracy and in every detail, and it was wholly unjustifiable to assume that a new system of fulfillment was inaugurated after the sacred canon closed. There were other people that saying, no, this can't be possible. It doesn't happen that way. They allegorize prophecy and that sort of thing. And Sir Robert Anderson says, no, it's literal. Literalness of fulfillment may therefore be accepted as an axiom or the norm to guide us in the study of prophecy. So that is his statement. Now, this guy did some amazing calculations. What you want to know is the simplicity of this is 483. Remember I said a 360-day calendar. That will total a specific number of days, 173,880 days. So if you multiply this out, you get this answer, 173,000. 880 days. Now, what happens in 173,880 days? Now, I want you to realize there's a lot of people that challenge this. There's people that don't believe this. But no matter what, when that command went out, until Jesus went into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, there were 483 years, and it happened to the day. Now, with that, with that, Think about how precise God is. He is so precise. In Luke chapter 19, verse 38, we read these words. And this is so important. Palm Sunday, we see him coming in on the donkey, and they, and they cover the donkey, and they put palm branches down. This is all symbolic of a king being treated, how a king is treated when they came into a city. And then, he, then we hear these words that the people are yelling, Blessed is the king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Matthew and Mark add to that, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Save now, Jesus. Save us from Roman captive. Save us now. They expected the kingdom to be established then. That's what they expected. And as he drew near the city, he wept over it. If you had known, especially this for your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. That was their chance. They had a chance to realize that Jewish people had a chance to accept their Messiah and complete this 490-day period of time. But eventually, in the next couple chapters, in Luke and in the rest of the scriptures, they reject him. They reject the Messiah. See, they wanted a conquering Messiah. They wanted a lion of the tribe of Jew, but not the lamb that would be sacrificed for their sins. They wanted to be free from Rome, but they didn't want to be free from their sins. They missed the two comings of Messiah. That he'll come first as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he'll come a second time as the lion of the tribe of Judah, a conqueror and establish his kingdom. That's what they wanted then. Folks, we needed a savior before we needed the king. So we have a savior, and then the king is coming for us. The king is coming for us. So 490 years have been decreed, not 483 years. So what has happened? What's this 483 stop? What has happened here? Well, it's going to be explained to us in verse 26. We see this. And after 62 weeks, now this is kind of confusing, but it is the 62 weeks plus the seven weeks that were used to build the city of Jerusalem. The 49 years that it took are seven weeks. Seven times seven is 49. Okay? So it is actually after 62 weeks plus the seven weeks, 
Messiah shall be cut off. That means that's the 69 years, that's 483 year point. He'll be cut off. That means he'll be executed for, but not for himself. It's not for what he did. And the people of the prince who is to come, now follow this with me. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it will be with a flood. Now, when you see a flood in Scripture mentioned in this manner, it means armies. Armies are coming. And I'll tell you about the army in just a second. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined, or there will be constant war over Jerusalem until the end comes, so the destructions are determined. It's a determined end time for this whole thing, this whole prophetic scene. So with that, let's try to develop this. Time is paused. The time stops at the 483-year point, but why? Because Messiah is killed. Messiah is cut off. Messiah is executed. They have rejected the Messiah, so time for Israel has stopped at the 483-year point. So he's executed. The Jewish people will suffer intensely for rejecting the Messiah. And remember, as I read in Luke 19, Jerusalem was destroyed. Their temple was destroyed. There was not one stone left on another. Why? Because they did not recognize the coming of the Messiah. They did not recognize their time. So the people of the, of the prince who is to come, and I believe that it is specifically speaking of the two people Number one, it's, all, it's alluding to the Antichrist, but it's also alluding to Titus. Shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And I want you to realize in 70 AD, Titus with his armies came and destroyed Jerusalem. But it's not just talking about Titus. And we will know in verse 27 that it is also talking about the Antichrist. So bear with me. The prince who is to come, I want you to think of Antichrist, will come out of the Roman Empire. There is a debate among scholars, and it is a most recent debate, whether Antichrist will come out of the, whether he'll be of Roman origin, European origin, or most recently, will he be of Islamic origin? And there are several people that have pioneered this. Joel Richardson is one of them. He's written about the Islamic Antichrist. And his argument is the following. The Roman Empire included Islamic nations. So I want you to think about something. You're going to see a map up here. This is the Roman Empire. went all the way to Spain and France and Italy. And then we have Grecian area. Then we have Turkey. Then we have Syria here. This is Israel, this area right here. Then we have Syria, Iran, Iraq. Then we have Saudi Arabia, Egypt. What religions dominate this area? Islam, Muslims. Now just keep that thought. Northern Africa, the same thing, are vastly Islamic, vastly Islamic. So with that thought in mind, Titus used conscripts to carry out the attack on Jerusalem. Josephus is a, is a Jewish historian, and he is not a Christian. He's not a Christian supporter, but he is a reliable source of information. And he says the following, The Roman army that burned and destroyed the temple in AD 70 was heavily composed of conscripts. Again, this is Josephus writing at the time of Jesus. From countries that Rome had previously conquered, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, Syrians made up a significant portion of the Roman army of General Titus. Now, if you have been with us in these studies through the book of Daniel, that Syrian should strike you. Who came out of Syria? The Secluids. Remember, there are four generals that Greece, when, when, Greece, uh, when, when Alexander the Great died, it was divided in, uh, with four generals. The two main ones were Ptolemy, Ptolemy, and Secluid. The Secluid was the Syrian area. And out of the Syrian area came a man called Antiochus Epiphanes. And he was a picture of the Antichrist. Out of Syria comes this army 
that make up a significant portion of the Roman army of Titus. The Jewish historian Josephus wrote that Titus tried to preserve the temple as a trophy of his conquest. He didn't want the temple to be destroyed. Now remember Jesus in Matthew 24 when the disciples asked him, what will be the sign of your coming? What's going to happen to all this temple and all that stuff? And he said, not one stone will be left upon another. Jesus knew. Jesus knew what was going to happen in 70 AD, and that is exactly what happened. Titus was not pleased when the Syrians got caught up in the heat of battle, burned the temple, and looted its gold. So, is it as a European Antichrist? Is it an Islamic Antichrist? Well, I'm hoping that our theology is correct, and we will not know. We'll be out of here. But in case we are wrong and there's a pre-wrath rapture, you may be able to identify this person. So, one thing we do know, the Antichrist, the prince who is to come, is the Antichrist. And this prince shall be, he is called the little horn in Daniel 7. The small horn in Daniel 8, indicating that he rises to power slowly. He assumes authority slowly. And then he leaps. He is the willful king of Daniel 11. He is the man of sin of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He is the beast of Revelation 13. The Antichrist will be the last worst persecutor of the Jews. He is the false Christ. He is both against Christ and in place of Christ or instead of Christ. Anti can be against or in place of or instead of. So, with the rejection of Messiah, the time stops for the Jews. Number one, the decree is issued in 445 B.C. The city is rebuilt in 49 years. 62 sevens, 434 years. There's 483 years that are complete. Messiah dies. Time stops for the Jews. We are in this time frame. This is called the church age. We'll see that in just a second. Not yet. Then there will be a seven-year tribulation period where God will refocus his attention on the Jews. Antichrist will make a covenant with the Jews during the seven-year period. Think he's just great and wonderful and terrific, and he will turn on them in the middle of the tribulation. So the time we are living in is the church age. That's that gap, this 2,000-plus years or salvation by grace through faith. This is a very special time. A very special time. A time of the Holy Spirit's outpouring, where the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. Just doesn't come on prophets, priests, kings, or the artisans of the temple, and that sort of thing in the Old Testament. But everyone that believes has the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within them. Very special time is the church age that we get to live in at this time. With that, verse 27. The Antichrist Covenant. Then he shall confirm a covenant with the many for one week. Now when you're reading that, you're going to say, who's the he and who's the many? Well, the many are the majority of the Jewish people, particularly the leadership. They are going to buy in to what Antichrist says. Remember, he's going to come in with all the answers. He's going to be the slick talker. The whole world's going to be in tumult. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars and stuff happening all over the place. It's going to be one giant mess, and he's coming in with the answers to humanity's problems. So the people are going to fall all over him, including the Jewish people, because he's going to give them favor. He's going to allow them to build their temple. But in the middle of the week, the three-and-a-half-year point, he shall bring it into sacrifice and offerings, meaning that the temple has to be built. There has to be a temple built in the tribulation time frame. And on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. That's the abomination of desolation. More in just a second. Even until the consummation or the full end, which is determined, it's been decreed, his time will end, is poured out on the desolate, and that actually should be the desolator. The desolator is the one that's causing the destruction. That is the Antichrist. So, with that information, the Antichrist peace covenant starts the tribulation time clock, that last little period that, that at the end. That's the last week. The, I believe the church has been raptured. 
And the peace covenant starts the tribulation period. When you see someone get a peace covenant that is signed in Israel, and they allows them to resume sacrifices and the temple being rebuilt, that dude is unquestionably the Antichrist. Unquestionably. Who is the he? Well, the he refers back to the last he that was mentioned, and that is going to be the he that was specifically to this, to this text, and that is going to be the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary refers back to the prince who is to come, who I believe is the Antichrist who makes the peace covenant. Titus did not make a peace covenant. Titus just went in and destroyed. That's all he did. But Antichrist is going to build the temple and make a peace covenant with the nation of Israel. They make a treaty for peace and protection, something Israel always wanted. It allows them to build their tribulation temple. This is not God's temple. This would be the Antichrist temple. This is not sanctioned by God. In the middle of the week, at the three-and-a-half-year point, 1,260 days into this thing, Antichrist breaks the covenant and turns on the Jews. And he will try to kill every Jewish person. Now, there's a reason that he has a fit. There's a reason that he has a fit and wants to turn on the Jews. Something has happened. It's not, it's not uh, divulged in Daniel, but it is suggested in the book of Revelation. And I believe at this point in the seven-year period, the Antichrist is going to be killed. And in Revelation chapter 13, verse 3, we see this, these words, And I saw one of his heads, this is Antichrist kingdoms, as if it had been mortally wounded. That is a death blow. That is a death blow. Mortally wounded, and his de deadly wound was healed. So he died, and then he was healed. Some people believe that there's going to be a false or, or maybe even a resurrection of the Antichrist after a wound. In Revelation chapter 17, there's kind of more confirmation for this. Revelation 17.8 says this, The beast that you saw, remember the beast is Antichrist, the beast that you saw was, that means he was alive, and is not, he is no longer alive, and then will ascend out of the bottomless pit in his resurrection and then go into perdition or destruction. So there's a, it's very strongly intimated in Scripture, and many Bible scholars believe that Antichrist will suffer a wound, he will die, be resurrected, and at that point, Satan will indwell him when he is resurrected, or part, is part of the cause of the resurrection. God allows that to happen. Satan doesn't have the power of life and death. But in this situation, God allows that to happen for his purposes. Now, what has happened to, for Satan to, to want to indwell the Antichrist and isolate himself in that body? Well, in Revelation chapter 12, remember we were just in 13. In Revelation chapter 12, there's a war in heaven, and Michael and his, and his angels fight with Satan and his angels and there was no room left for Satan in heaven, and he is booted out. And it says, woe to the earth. And when he comes down to the earth, he then makes it a straight beeline to kill every Jewish person he can possibly kill. Now these Jews know at this time also he's setting up the abomination of desolation. And they know that he wants to be worshipped as God. That is their signal to run for their lives to Petra or Basra for safety. Only one-third of the Jews will take them up on this, or will believe God on this, believe Daniel. The rest of them, two-thirds, will be killed, according to Zechariah. So that just gives you a little what's happening in that time frame. Now back to Daniel. On the, on the wings of abomination, or the abomination of desolation, abomination simply means this, a disgusting, filthy, Thing. That idol that's set up in the temple of the Antichrist, wanting to be worshipped of God, in God's eyes is, an, is a filthy, disgusting, detestable thing. The prince will commit abomination. That's the, that's the Antichrist. The Antichrist, indwelled by Satan, will enter the temple and declare himself to be God. In Revelation 13, 16, when he declares himself to be God, he will demand that all the people on earth take the mark. 
the seal of the beast, to pledge allegiance to him. You know what he's doing? He's copying the sealing of the Holy Spirit that happens to a believer for ownership, protection, that God gives each one of us when we believe that Jesus died for our sins. The Spirit of God comes within. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. He's copycat. Matthew 24, Jesus describes this, this time frame. 24:15, Jesus says this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea, verse 16, must flee to the mountains. Make your exit. When you see that happening, run for your lives, because Antichrist wants to kill every Jew he can kill. Why? Because if he kills them, they can't plead for Messiah to come back. The nation has to plead for Messiah to come back, for him to come back at the end of the tribulation period. Verse 21, Matthew 24, 21 says this. Jesus laid it right out there what this time will be like. For then there should be great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will be. Think of every holocaust. Think of every war. Think of all the people that were killed under communism. Literally millions, tens of millions of people die in China, in Russia. That'll be nothing compared to this time frame. But you must realize, Antichrist days are numbered. His worship shall be short-lived. In Revelation 13:5, it's 42 months, 1260 days. Then his reign will end abruptly. I don't know about you, but I'm just hip, hip, hooray. Daniel says the consummation, which means just simply means a full end, which is determined, decreed beforehand by God. Jesus Christ will crush Antichrist, the final Gentile kingdom in rebellion against the God of heaven. He will crush Antichrist. And remember Daniel, stone, crushing the statue. And all those kingdoms become his chain. Jesus will establish his kingdom. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, we read these words. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was loud voices in heaven. And saying this, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And yes, he's reigning. Conclusion, the 70 weeks prophecy. Now, you must realize the Abrahamic covenant is true. I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. The people that bless Israel will be blessed by God, and the people who curse Israel will be cursed by God. The church now is the vehicle that the Lord is using to reach the nations. He suspends the clock for 2,000 years to make room for the church age. Those final seven years is a period promised to the nation of Israel future. But it will not come upon the church. I believe strongly that the church won't be here. That we will be raptured. That we'll be taken out of this. We will not experience the wrath of God. Jesus will return and set up his kingdom. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. And folks, we are living in the pause. The age of grace the church age, but this will end soon. We know it will end soon. We see what's happening in the world around us. We see what's happened in the church. We see the nation of Israel has been established. Key point, dis dispersed throughout the world for thousands of years and then come into their own land. Never before has that ever happened in the history of the world. The world is rushing headlong into the most horrific time in Earth's history. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21, For there shall be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world, until this time, nor, shall ever, nor ever shall be. Folks, our hope, our refuge, our rescue from this awful time is the rapture of the church, where God will snatch away, harpezio, take us out of here. I mean, I can't wait. I mean, it's like, come and get us, Lord. He's our rescue. And like I've said so many times, Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. Come and take us out of this thing. Look at, we hold on to this earth with tentacles. 
because we think this is it. This is not it. This is a, a little bleep of time. James calls it a vapor, here for a moment and gone. We are here for this brief look called your life. Eternity is going to be with God or separated from God. What we do with this of time determines where we will spend eternity. And the encouragement is, come. Come. Come to Jesus. Believe that he died for your sins. He made it. He did everything for us. All we have to do is believe and receive the gift of salvation. The rest he has done. And then we live our lives for him. That's phase two of salvation. That's sanctification where we live a life that's set apart unto him. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. This is the 70-week prophecy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study really this difficult portion of Scripture. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that somehow, some way, that you've given some clarity to folks here what to expect. We know that Jesus did go into Jerusalem and accept his kingship right at the 483-year point. 173,880 days, he comes in and he declares he's the king. We know that he was crucified and rejected by the nation of Israel, and that time stopped, and that we are in that pause so that the Spirit of God can call out a people from all over the world to be part of the family of God, and that if we will just confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved saved from eternal damnation, saved from the mess that is to come, saved to a place where it's going to be real, Lord. Heaven is real. That's where you have decided to manifest yourself. But right now, I pray that you'd work in the hearts of every person here. If someone doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray that this is the moment that they say, this, this could be true. This could be real. Jesus really did die. Jesus really was buried. Jesus really did raise from the dead. And all he demands of me is to say yes to him. Lord, I thank you that you came and died for us. I thank you that you made salvation so simple. All we have to do is believe and receive the gift. I pray that happens today in someone's heart. In Jesus' name, amen.